Uh, good morning and happy summer. Like, who's excited that school is finally out? Yeah, right. <laughs> you guys, you guys were, you guys were faithful to just push through a long time in that, and so. Uh, just, I bet you guys are just excited for summer. So, um, as, as we passed out Bibles, if you have a Bible, open it up to Daniel chapter two. Um, we're going to, we're going to dive into the text immediately. I'm very just excited for this morning and just, um, I feel like what the Lord wants to teach us. And so just for those who maybe don't know the last couple of weeks, we have been going through a series in the book of Daniel. And so just a little bit of a recap, the last two weeks, we've gone through chapter one. And with that, we see that this King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came into Jerusalem and took it over, like God's chosen people. And yet, then they also took some of um, the men that were described as healthy and and, and good-looking and wise, and they chose to bring them in and just to teach and just to equip them for the service of the king. And so that we see that Daniel, who, you know, is, is, the, is the prophet in this, in this book, is one of those four men that impressed the king more than anyone out of the entire kingdom. And so we have King Nebuchadnezzar and we have Daniel. And so that's a little bit of just kind of the recap in the last couple of weeks. And so uh, Daniel chapter 2, we're just going to start at the very beginning and work our way through the text this morning. And so verses 1 through 7 says, one night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, his enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he had dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I am serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, ouch, and your houses will be turned into heaps of of rubble. But if you tell me what I have dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. And I just want to propose the question this morning of just what makes a good story? Now, when you guys think about just, you know, take a second and just pause and think about maybe your favorite book or maybe your favorite movie or anything in this. Like, what are the elements that make up a great story? And and I know you guys just finished school, so the last thing that you probably want is a little bit of English. But has anyone heard of the Story Mountain? Yeah, yes, we know the Story Mountain. And so (laughs) there we go, just everything... You're not far enough into summer that you've already forgotten. There's that that window where you still remember. But ultimately, we find that all good stories have this similar pattern. This similar pattern of how background and character and setting and context give just so much better understanding for what's happening. There's rising action. There's conflict. There's tension. There's problems that arise. As, As men were just threatened to be torn limb from limb, as we can see, there's problems arising. And yet there's this climax, a pivotal moment in the story, falling action where characters try to solve the problem and the resolution and how it ends. And I would just say in the same way that we look at the Bible and the Bible is one big story. And it actually has similar elements into this. But then not only is the Bible one big story, it's also many little stories that make up a bigger story. That the Bible has 66 books and it's divided with Old Testament and New Testament. And we see those are very different. 
that we see that even in the beginning of time through the Old Testament, there's historical narrative, that there's these laws, that as we get through Psalms and Proverbs, there's these wisdom pieces, these psalms, these songs, the prophecy, which is when, 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 when somebody speaks something that the Lord is going to fulfill that does later then get fulfilled. That there's the gospel, which is when Jesus was on earth in his ministry. And that there's the epistles, which are letters written to early churches after Jesus ascended back into heaven and how to live life out. And so the point, of, again, of, of saying all that is there's stories within stories and that this is the way that the approach is. And so the book of Daniel is under prophecy because Daniel was a prophet and a prophet was a person regarded as an inspired teacher or proclaimer of the will of God. And, and, and again, the, the prophecy is important because in, in, the, in the chapter 1, it talked about how Daniel had the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And that is so important for this story. So again, just moving, moving forward in this, again, even keeping, keeping in mind maybe your favorite book or your favorite movie or your favorite story, can you recognize the similar elements? And in the same way that we dive into the text this morning, there will be similar elements as well. And so starting with the background, because context is so important to actually understand what's going on. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was thought of as the greatest king of the Babylonian Empire, that he was a brutal powerful, ambitious king, that it was in the second year of his reign that he had actually taken over. And this is, again, important for, I think, both the dream and understanding his reaction on the dream. Because the way that he reacts, we can actually learn just as much, I think, as the dream itself. And yet also then understanding the other person that we need to look at is Daniel. And the two things, again, is that God had given him the ability to interpret dreams and visions, but also that as Daniel had continued to grow in favor with the king, he was found ten times more helpful than any of the other magicians, than any of the other enchanters in the entire kingdom. So you would think when hardship goes, Daniel is the guy that you go to if you're the king. And so again, now going back to the problem at hand, this, the king has this disturbing dream, and he needs someone to tell him. And, and I've, I was going through commentaries just kind of over this text, and it's interesting because it could have been one of two things. It could have been the king may have pretended not to know what the dream was, and so he was actually testing them. You know, because you think about, hey, this is what the dream means. Tell me what it means. Then, then, then they could have made up anything. You know, you could, you know, you get like an essay question on a test and you're like, I don't really know the answer, but if I spin it well enough, I can get partial credit. Like, it was almost that where it would have been easy for them to kind of just fabricate something. And so it was like, do you actually know what you're talking about? But the other possibility that it could have been is that he actually may really have forgotten the dream only knowing that he had dreamt vividly and waking up. Has that ever happened to any one of us? Have you ever had a dream that you just wake up in the middle of the night almost like shaking, like trembling, like, oh, no, that didn't happen. You know, like, like I actually am still alive. Like, I didn't fall off a cliff. You know, or like whatever it is, like, you wake up just disturbed. And so the king had this moment where he wakes up just not necessarily maybe knowing what's going on, just frightened, and just, and he was terrified. And obviously we know, too, that, the, the difference in reaction shows how impatient and how frightened he was. The fact that if you can't do it, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. And if you can't do it, then you have all of these gifts, all of this position, all of this honoring. Because he just needed an answer. But you see, the, the, the range in spectrum showed how frightened he really was. And yet, I think it's interesting because I, as it had been mentioned earlier, that Daniel had been found ten times more helpful than any of the other magicians 
enchanters, astrologers, etc. And yet, when troubled and overwhelmed, he immediately runs to those people. He runs to the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers. And I think my question for us even this morning is that immediately when troubled, how often do we not actually go to the source of life? that can help us, that often we go to a source that can't give us hope, that can't give us clarification, that can't give us identity, and then we become frustrated when we don't get a positive answer, that we run to a broken solution frustrated that it didn't work, that how often do we medicate when when life is hard in these moments and these frustrations, and, and oftentimes we can treat stress with more stress, we can treat gossip with more gossip, we can treat brokenness with more brokenness, with sin. We can treat sin with more sin. And yet, like, it's, it's not fulfilling. It's not helpful. It's not gratifying our soul. And so he's running to the wrong source. And then he blames people and God when he doesn't get that. And how often do we do that? Again, how often do we go to the wrong source, become frustrated by a lack of clarity, and then blame God for not providing when we didn't actually go to him in the first place? That Daniel... Chapter 2, 10 through 12, just a few more verses down from where we were reading. It says, the astrologers replied to the king. No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live among the people. And again, when the king heard this, he was furious. And he ordered that all of the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's degree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. The king gets told that what he's asking for is impossible. And then he overreacts. I mean, that's another thing. Can anyone else relate to? Like, you tell me I can't have something, and then, like, you're just not going to be happy about the response. And yet in James one nineteen, it talks about how that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And yet often in this moment when we get told something that we can't have or we can't do, we become frustrated immediately, just immediately angry. And, and when we try to find hope in something besides Jesus, true hope is impossible. That we can't find this, this hope, this life, this source really anywhere outside of Jesus. And often we run to the wrong place trying to find something. That we can't run to a broken solution frustrated by the lack of clarity that it brings. That when your heart is depressed and hurting, that we can turn to something that is lustful and hurts us as well. Or that, you know, when you're lonely and wanting value, we can often turn to a relationship that then requires us picking up the pieces. Or that when, you, when, when you're struggling, you turn to something else to fulfill your identity and your value, and only that leaves you more empty in return. Now, I want to shift the focus onto Daniel in this story. Because you think the king might be frustrated or scared or anxious. But imagine being Daniel and being told that you're going to be executed because of this. And, and, and again, when something that he, he, had, he had done nothing wrong in the first place. Imagine being in that position. And yet, again, with, within context, Daniel had great relationship with the royal service. And so that actually allowed him a little bit of time. So, like, if execution had come, it wasn't necessarily like he would be the first one. He had favor with the king. However, when it came to execution, and if it actually had lined up, he would have been there. And so, there's this moment, though, where he has a little bit of time, because he's actually away from the king in the moment of wrath and anger. But he goes to the king and requests more time. 
That again, let's scroll down a little further in chapter 2, 16 through 23. It says, Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you, and you revealed to us what the king demanded. And I think earlier we saw what it looks like to run to the wrong source to run to the wrong solution. And yet we see the comparison here of what it looks like to actually pursue the source of God. And when we pursue God, he comes through every time. He's faithful and true by his very heart and his very nature. That when we reach out to God, he will come for us. That, that, that God had never intended just to leave Daniel hanging out to dry and then just leave him there. That it was, never Daniel's, or it was never God's intention for Daniel and all of the wise men to be executed. That God was going to serve himself faithful and true. And yet what I also love is that looking back at verse 18, immediately Daniel seeks the Lord's strength and mercy, not his own natural ability. And I think often at times when push comes to shove and we're scared or we're frightened, we try to rely on our own strength. We try to rely on our own natural ability. And there are often seasons of life that you will not be able to get through on your own. You just, you will not be able to manage. You will not be able to will to victory or struggle enough in your own heart without Jesus. And so that we see Daniel, he immediately runs to the right source and he immediately relies on a power greater than from within. That he doesn't rely on his own ability because he knows that he can't. And yet when he relies on God's ability, we see that God had actually given him the, the, he had given him the gift of interpreting dreams and visions. That the ability, the solution was right inside Daniel all along. But it required pressing into the Father. It required adversity and hardship. That God was preparing Daniel actually for this moment to bring clarity to the king and to save and to rescue these wise men. That God will give you the gifts necessary to overcome the hardship in front of you. But yet often, if you can't really endure, you will miss out on the gifts that God wants to develop in and through you. Because I think there's some gifts that, that God gives us immediately. And I think there's some gifts that we actually, we work for, we wrestle through, we develop in the midst of it. That the strongest steel goes through the hottest fire. That there is strength found in adversity that uh, Sherilyn uh, Kenyon, who's a, a best-selling U.S. author, she said, strength through adversity. The strongest steel is forged by the fires of hell. It is pounded and struck repeatedly before it's plunged back into the molten fire. The fire gives it power and flexibility, and the blows give it the strength. That those two things make the metal pliable and able to withstand every battle it is called upon to fight. Again, that steel is this strong element, but that if it isn't molded through hot fire, it won't actually be a sword able to serve its purpose. And that oftentimes there's things in life that we just, we want God 
to just to do do for us. We just want God. Hey, can you just do? I I don't actually want to go through that. <laughs> I don't want to go through that tough time. Nobody does. And yet, it isn't often until push comes to shove that you really learn how strong you are. Because I think there's often times and seasons where you're like, God, I don't know how much more I can handle. I don't know how much more I can endure. And yet, every night, you go to bed, you wake up, and you're faced with the opportunity to continue to press in, to continue to fight, to continue to serve Jesus. And often, we don't necessarily learn how strong we truly are until push comes to shove, until you're tested, until you endure, until you learn how to fight. Jesus never promised that this life was easy. He just promised that it's worth it and that he's faithful. Those are two things that he does promise every single time. And, and we see that, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about how the godly man isn't the one who never falls, but it's the person who rises back up again. And so that's not just sin. That's also life circumstance. And this ability to get up, this ability to fight, the ability to just endure, that's where there's so much blessing on the other side. And so there's these gifts that God wants to give, but it often forces us to just push through in the midst of these hardships. And so we see Daniel just immediately seek the king. We see Daniel immediately press in. We see Daniel relying on something greater than himself. Because he knows that on his own he can't. And yet there was, again, this dream or this ability, these giftings inside of him all along. But it it was through this that he discovered and that God blessed him with it. So now I actually want to kind of just look at the dream itself. And so we're going to scroll down a few verses (laughs) into 31. 35. And this is the moment where Daniel actually, again, God had brought clarity and vision. God had gave Daniel a vision of the dream and the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had. So this is this moment where he tells the king, don't execute. Like I know, like, like God has given me the dream. But again, another little side note that's so powerful, it's so important is Daniel doesn't go to the king and say, I got it. (laughs) I got the solution. You know, he says, God does. He said, no man can actually tell you what this dream was, that he actually confirmed what the astrologers were saying, that this king is nuts. Like, he can't, he, he, like, no one can actually do the very thing that the king had asked. And so Daniel reaffirms that, as well as gives credit and glory to God, saying it is God who is telling you this vision. And so in this moment, we see him say that, that it says, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. And its baked feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of the iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like a shaft on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And again, going back to King Nebuchadnezzar, you could see how this dream was straightforward, but also fearful and frightening. That if you're a king who in his second year was already a military victor, who had success, but not just rested on success, had ambition for more, and, and, and he's planning and dreaming and scheming of the vision in the years ahead in, 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 his, in his kingship. And he just literally gets a dream of a large statue being immediately crushed to pieces. I think there's fear that, like, there's this moment of, like, he sees his doom in front of him. Which could make sense as to, again, why he woke up just trembling and just shivering in the middle of the night. 
And so, you know, but again, so Daniel not only tells the king his dream, but then also tells the explanation of the dream. And in verse 36 through 38, he says, that was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. He said, your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all of the inhabited world. Has he even put the wild animals and birds under your control? That you are, that you, the he- sorry, you are the head of gold. And so Daniel then kind of goes on to just describe the rest of the following pieces of silver, bronze, iron, etc. that actually represent the kingdoms that will rise up to take their place after Nebuchadnezzar's. That their division will come when some of the parts are as strong as iron, but also weak as clay. And so trying to form these alliances to strengthen themselves, we will see that iron and clay do not mix. And so ultimately that, that, that results in the fall of it. And that lastly, the rock cut out from the mountain, not by human hand, but by God and God alone. And so the last part of, of, of kind of this chapter that I'm going to talk about is, it, you know, in 44 and 45, it says, During the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all of these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hand, that crushed to, pie- uh, that, that crushed to pieces that statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. That this dream is true. And its meaning is certain. If the worship team wants to come back up, I'm just going to kind of close with one or, last, one or two last quick thoughts. But we see that after the dream and its meaning is revealed, the king becomes so relieved and thankful that he does as he says in the beginning, that he blesses Daniel with many gifts, with many high position, with many honoring, that he lavishes that out. But then it's also neat because he praises the one true God. He praises the God that Daniel worships. He, you know, because again, you see he was a Babylonian king that had taken over God's chosen people. So it's not like he was naturally pressing in, in, into God. And so we see this moment of, of clarity and vision brought to his soul that then forced him to look upon God and give thanks. Because God wanted to speak and reveal himself to the that it was not out of punishment, but love that this happened. That again, the king is frightened, the king is shaking, the king is overwhelmed. And so the king probably feels like he's being punished. The king feels like he's being oppressed. But really, God is doing this out of love. And oftentimes, we go through hardship and we think, God, you're punishing me. And yet God is like, my love will provide and lead you forward. But sometimes we make it difficult for God to have our attention. And when we make it difficult for God to have our attention, he is often forced to go to extreme measures. And I think that's what we see here. We see a God who wanted to actually speak and give God and, and give the peace or the king peace. That after this happens, you see the king just thankful, just rested. And, and, and God wants to do the same for all of us this morning. That God wants to bring peace to your soul. That God wants to bring clarity and a love and and actually lead. But again, this kind of goes back to the question of where are you running? Because when you run to God, it's worth it. But when you run to a broken world, when you run to a broken solution, you will only find yourself more exhausted, more frustrated, more discouraged. And the last thing is comparing and contrasting the king the kingdom of, of, of this world and the kingdom of God's world. And we see that one is temporary 
And we see that one is eternal. One will fade. One will break. One will end. That as great as King Nebuchadnezzar's reign was, it ended. It didn't last forever. And yet God talks about the power of this kingdom that will never end, that will continue to go on. And so again, we have this moment this morning of realizing in our heart, there's two sources that we can chase after. That you can only, you know, if you run this way, you can't also run this way. And, 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 and on one side, we have brokenness, we have emptiness, we have a world, we have a kingdom that is all about idolizing man, that it's all about uplifting and glorifying ourselves, that will eventually crush. The head of gold still fell. And yet then we have a kingdom here that is eternal, that is surrounded by the love and the grace of our Father. Now, there was one time um, I, I was at Cannon Beach for, for an overnight retreat. And there was this moment where I just, I had to get outside and I had to pray. But it was pitch black. It was like midnight. I didn't know where I was going. I probably wouldn't recommend this. It wasn't necessarily the safest thing. Um, because then there were moments where if I heard a noise or I heard a sound, I was, I was frightened. I was terrified, actually, because it was like 1, 2 in the morning when I'm actually concluding my prayer walk with Jesus. And the point that I have is there's this moment where I can't see in front of me. And I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I honestly am so directly challenged. I'm like, it's a 50% chance I actually get back to the retreat. And yet I pull out my phone and I try to have the flashlight app. And yet you can only see often like three feet in front of you. That I can only see barely in front of me. And so I'm trying to slowly walk. I'm trying to slowly progress. I'm, 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 I'm terrified, but I'm fixated on that light. That that light was the thing that led me. That the light was the thing that got me through. And ultimately, obviously, I made it back to the retreat. <laughs> Thank God. But I say that, that oftentimes when it comes to where are we running, there's so much brokenness that around our world that sometimes we feel overwhelmed in darkness. That sometimes life is tough. Sometimes life is heavy. And yet when we have this moment where we're fixated on a light, that often when we walk with Jesus, we don't see the full picture. We just see enough in front of us that we can safely walk, that we can safely have provision, that God can safely lead. We don't know the full story, but I just, again, he didn't promise it was easy. He just promised it was worth it. And he promised that he was right in front of us. So that's where I just want to encourage us this morning. We're going we're to conclude. We're going to worship. But I just want to encourage you guys again with this last question of where are you running? And my heart and my prayer would be that we are fixated on the light. We're fixated on the source. We're fixated on his love. We're fixated on his grace. Because ultimately, in good times and in bad, that will be the only thing that can get you through. That will be the only thing that can cover your soul. It's the only thing that can give you hope. is our hope. That is our prayer. In a, in a world and in a king, kingdoms that just chase and abide for your attention. God, we want to actually go to the source that gives us life. And we want life to the fullest. And God, I thank you that you're constantly having provision over us. That you're constantly wanting to teach us. You're constantly wanting to equip us. And when we faithfully follow you, it's not out of punishment when life gets tough out of love that you lead us into something better than we could ever fully imagine. So Jesus, would we humbly just serve and chase after you just with a willing heart that that's what you desire and that's what you seek most. Jesus, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In your name, amen. Let's worship.